0: Hey there, folks. Trustworthy fact, Kev Smith. Before we start casting the pods, man, let me try to sell you something first, okay? Do you like me? Do you like my friends Jason Mews, uh, Ralph Garman? Then guess what? We're coming to a town near you, man. We're coming your way, man. Come see a Smod Co. Show. Tickets at csmod.com. That's S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Now, if you can't come to one of our shows, you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to support this two-bit operation? Well, how about you kick back in your home with some family and friends and Loved ones and play Monopoly. Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Monopoly. That's right, man. You can buy from JayandSilentBob.com dot com, the home of the secret stash, right there online. A signed edition of uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Me and Muse sign it, man. Jason Muse, Jay himself, me, Silent Bob, uh, and the parts are real fun, man. They got a little cock knocker, a little fist, a little, uh, a little Suzanne, a little Blunt Mobile. It's crazy, man. Get your hands on it. You get drunk, get stoned, and play a round of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Available signed by me and Jason Muse at JayAndSilentBob now. Here comes your SMODCO Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. Brain Trust. Thank you for tuning in. I am recording last week on Earth, this week, a news episode coming at you in moments. I mean, right now, essentially, we're already going. I don't know why I would even pretend like it hasn't started. We obviously have started. What are you listening to? Some Something else? If you are, that would be impossible, and you wouldn't be listening to this. I'm wasting these words. But I'm in Norfolk, Nebraska, or Norfolk, as they say here Um, as as the locals say, the hometown of Johnny Carson, my hero, my comedic idol, the reason I'm a TV host and a comedian. The reason I'm a stand-up, as I said before, is George Carlin and Johnny Carson. And a host, it's absolutely Johnny Carson and, of course, David Letterman. Um, But I grew up since a young boy watching Johnny every night, and it's a crazy honor to be here at the Great American Comedy Festival. Um, uh, Just a a festival that is is designed to honor Johnny. And um, it's I had toured Johnny's house today. I just literally got—I'll tell you—I'll tell you the details of that in one moment. First, let me just start the podcast, okay? Uh, le- quick announcement: Idiot Test, my game show—you probably know this by now—has just changed to a new time slot. It is on every Wednesday at ten nine central. Two back-to-back episodes on Game Show Network GSN. Please watch it and um, follow at Last Week on Earth on Twitter for highlight quotes every single week from that week's episode as it comes out, like a day or so later. Bridget Woodbury tweets the highlights, at Last Week on Earth. So know that, and the podcast is starting right now. Jurassic World makes way too much money. Hackers stealing everything from the feds. Taylor Swift into BDSM. Trump running for president. Thank you, Jesus. Can eating brains keep your brain strong? Senator called Lindsey Graham. What? Why do men like the Brazilian? George W. Bush wants more boots on the ground. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And the NAACP was led by a fake black woman. All this and more during the Last Week on Earth with Ben Glebe. Whoops. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh, my God, guys,
0: listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm, like, the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic, girly man. <laughs> then you'll never have to pour or measure
1: detergent again.
0: <laughs> Can we all get along?
1: Karen our <laughs>
2: death, film at 11.
1: How many sides does a triangle have?
2: Damn, four. There's no five.
0: 1 Last week
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is an exciting episode. Brain Trust, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, hashtag BeGlebers. We will overtake Justin Bieber's BeGlebers one of these days. We're trailing very badly. But I believe in us. I believe we can get there. Um, So as I said in the opening, I'm here at the Great American Comedy Festival honoring Johnny Carson, my... Comedic hero, uh, an amazing guy, to a philanthropist. I didn't even know about all of his philanthropic work, but he built Johnny Carson Theater in the high school here. He built a cancer center in the local hospital. Gave quite a lot to the town, and um, I got to actually tour some exhibit in the museum as well. Of I got to see Johnny's Emmys and see one of his suits, and then I got a tour, a personal tour. Today's my birthday, and I went to Johnny Carson's childhood home, and there building it again they're like trying to to salvage it and reconstruct parts that have been kind of dilapidated over the years and I told one of the construction workers it's my birthday and I host a game show Johnny Carson started hosting a game show and that's one of the things that has given me solace about being a game show host makes me feel fine about myself it's not always my goal to host a game show but Luckily, GSN has created really cool, hip shows that give me a chance to be myself while hosting and really giving people money. Like I've said, it's a welfare program where we really put people through a lot of stress to get that money. But um, And I'm walking through, and I tell the guy that it's my birthday, and I host a game show. I'm a huge fan of Johnny. He says the owner of the house is coming in moments, and he gives me a personal tour of the owner of the whole house. I'm in Johnny's bedroom taking pictures, and the man says I can take a brick home from Johnny's original Fireplace and chimney. And I, I have a brick now in my possession. Johnny Carson's original home. In, in, in the Johnny Comes Home documentary that Johnny Carson did, you see him in front of that fireplace. There's photos of his childhood doing magic tricks in front of that fireplace. I now own a piece of that. Uh, pretty amazing day so far. And the man that has made this happen for me is a really great guy who I've known uh, for many years now uh, through the comedy community. Uh, his name is Eddie Brill. And if you haven't heard of him, you should. You should follow him on Twitter and on Facebook. He writes incredibly interesting, thoughtful posts, very funny posts, at Eddie Brill on Twitter. Yeah, Eddie
2: underscore Brill.
1: At Eddie underscore Brill. He's doing the underscore against my strong advisor. I wanted Eddie Brill,
2: but somebody took the other Eddie Brill and was, you know, putting my phone number out there and being oh. sort of dark and weird. So I got that, had to get that cancelled now yes. that I had to take the underscore. But I think
1: you still keep, gotta go like the Eddie Brill or funny Eddie Brill or, or Eddie Brill real, real. Something, something. Underscore. It, You're underscore. adding three syllables to yeah. something that needs to be You're short. You're right. But it's, it's gonna fun. change.
2: After today, keep changing it. Thank
1: you. So Eddie Brill is a very talented stand-up comedian, a very funny man. We met maybe Eight years ago now in Vancouver at the comedy festival there, uh, where he made the huge mistake of not booking me on the late show it with was, David Letterman. You weren't ready then. and I wasn't You were ready. so ready now, and I'm sorry that... And he's done.
2: Yeah. The timing did not work out. That but, life dream went but away. But the one thing that I did know yes. back then is that I knew you were going to be great at it because you had you. something that, you know, there's cer- certain something like, I always say, like Nina Simone to me is my hero yeah, in music. Yeah, amazing singer. And when you hear her sing, whether it's God or a spirit or whatever, it comes out of her, and you could see that and feel it and, and sense yeah. it. And the same thing with comics who are really special. I've always seen that Nina Simone thing in comedians. Oh, that's and that's cool. how I choose. I'm you're never 100% right, but I'm yeah. you know, I have a pretty good percentile of being right about Instinctively about comedians, and I knew first of all you're a great guy, and that's I'm not saying it just because it's your birthday. Thanks. Uh, cause I, and I'm all you know. I wouldn't say you're a douche if, if I, <laughs> I wouldn't even do your podcast, but you're a great guy. But I knew that you had something, and I always had you in mind for this festival. Mm-hmm. And I just and also Letterman, as I had thousands of people in mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once the person thousands, got to, um, I had gotten thousands of audition things wow and from all over the world right and i had to I'll put 20 on a year and maybe three new ones each year or one year i got to put seven new comics on and i didn't book myself i, mean, I you one know, new one a year usually some so three oh sometimes my God. you know it was really hard yeah and i literally as a comic traveling around the world thousands of people would audition for me or right. I'd get phone calls uh, from other comedians saying, hey, I just work with Ben Glebe. He's really funny. you got to watch him. That kind of a thing, which happens yeah, a lot. Sure. And it's a much better way to find out about other comics from the comics you respect and trust. All right. Or to see somebody live as opposed to watching them on tape. So anyway, um, I have, of all, I remembered you very well, and I knew that you were really going to be great, but why put someone before they're ready on television? There's not enough room for a million people,
1: so put people on when they're ready. And so to clarify it, so... Eddie, aside from being a great a great comic, as you may have now just deduced, he was the talent booker of the comedians on The Late Show with David Letterman for a great long yeah, 11 time. Years 11 years I did 11 that. 11 years, yeah. and you did a warm-up.
2: For 17 for years. For 17 years. It was incredible to be in the Ed Sullivan Theater for 17 Unreal. years. Unreal. Performing on that stage every night.
1: Unreal. For that is the coolest thing ever.
2: Dream come true.
1: Total dream. So, Okay, so let's discuss this for a minute because, I mean, Johnny Carson was the guy that inspired me in my early life. And then David Letterman, when I discovered him, took it to a whole other level because, as we all know, he had this great sardonic sense of humor and this very s- sarcastic style. And he was known as the anti-talk show host and really right. broke so many conventions of talk shows. And literally in college, I just would, like, steal his whole persona. <laughs> I would do Man on the Street bits where I would literally write Regis Philbin in on the name thing on the form fantastic. and wear Letterman jackets. <laughs> I would host whole live call-in shows as Letterman with a Letterman jacket and a hat and just be like, ha and just stare (laughs) off into the distance and act weird and
2: it was he'd influenced me so greatly and Um, it's funny because for me it was Carson of course first mm -hmm. and I was as a child I watched Carson all the time and I my hero like yours George Carlin in stand up Mm -hmm. when I saw Carlin's first uh, Tonight Show uh plugging um FM and AM. Yeah, that's first, first album. Yeah, that changed my life. That one episode changed my life. I remember I was How? living in Florida because I had seen George Carlin on a lot of different things with his partner. Mm-hmm. Burns. Yeah, Burns yeah, and uh Jack Burns. Mm-hmm. And um and I'd seen Carlin on different things like a Playboy After Dark. I saw him on. Huh. I saw him on a couple of things. And he was very funny. But on the Letterman show, on the Letterman show, on the Carson show, uh-huh. it was I felt like my whole childhood that 's the way I thought in my brain mm-hmm. the way Carlin was thinking mm-hmm. and i 'm thinking, "Wow, so I ran out to get the record, and I played it ten thousand times, memorized it by heart, uh, did it in school, performed it like crazy, and then when Letterman came around, it happened I graduated college in one thousand nine hundred and eighty Letterman started eighty two uh, so after I moved back to New York in eighty, I watched Letterman every night right. so late, late at night, it was influential. All of a sudden, I'm working there wow. 1997, and even though I worked there and I was part of an incredible situation, I still was in awe. Every yeah. once in a while, I'd look down at David and go, holy, that's David fucking that's Letterman. unbelievable. And it, I, I'd, be like, oh, I'd be choked up. Yeah. It was so cool. I never got to meet Johnny. I was going to ask you that. I worked at Saved by the Bell as a warm-up comic. It was the first warm-up gig I had. Uh-huh. I was broke in L.A., had no money, a college friend, worked there, got me the job. It was a shitty job because you're babysitting kids. Um, but it paid 1000 sure. bucks, and I was probably grossing 140 a week back uh-huh. then working at the comedy store. But it was literally across the hall from the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Wow. So when it was dark, uh, the show and they weren't taping, I'd go there and stand on the star. No and way. And it would be great. And I saw Johnny a couple of times walk in the hallway, but I couldn't, I was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I couldn't, I was too nervous to yeah. say anything. And now the opportunity came for me from the people of this town, they said, you know, we know you work at Letterman, and we know all these things about you, and we'd love you to come here. We're trying to do this amateur competition in Nebraska to honor Johnny because he was good to young comics. And I said, well, you know, amateur comics definitely deserve a, a place there, but Johnny never put amateurs on the show. Right. He put comics on when they were ready. Of course. I said, It was How exposure to the world. Once they got on, yeah. then that was it because it was the only show people were watching. Right. So I said, let's, let's do an amateur thing and let's help the amateurs, but also let us bring the best comics on the planet Mm. into this town in this gorgeous theater. And that's where I come in. Thank you so much. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And this is the eighth year. The first year we had 24 and we did four different shows and it was just too many shows to get that many people in this 1300 seat theater. Um, so we changed it to twenty comics every year. That I bring ten and ten, and so that's twenty-four members of one hundred and forty comics or so have come wow. through, and most of them were kind of comics that I saw going on their way up, and then you know being at the right place, at the right time, they're ready now to come to this theater and blow the room away. And and the weird part about it is the run on sentences like crazy <laughs> is that there's a competition involved. And the competition right. is... Comics
1: love competing. We do yeah, love That's to be all judged. I want to do, yes. uh, compete.
2: Um, and the matter of fact, a 1,234-seat theater is what it is. And to fill that theater, the most popular shows on TV are not always the best artistic shows like mm-hmm. Last Comic Standing. Great for comics. Great for exposure. Yep. Great for careers. Um, but it's a competition of sorts. Right. So I decided to sort of make it a competition. And it just goes against the grain of what I believe in. So what I did was, I said, look, to the comics, don't treat it like a competition, because once you do, and once you take it seriously, you've lost. Yeah. Um, we're going to pay everyone the same. You're going to act like it's a competition. We're going to run it like it's a competition. But everyone is great, and no one is better than the other one. And it takes, it's taken the pressure off everyone. Everyone just comes and 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 tears the roof off the place. And so you don't get more money if you win the thing? If you win the thing, there's a
1: few extra dollars. You know, I and mean, if you're going to do another show okay. during the... I want people to get paid for it. Because I think most of the comedians are are taking that to heart or not taking the competition too seriously. I have been slowly poisoning the other comedians. In what way? Just the slowly poisoning. Right, right so that you win. Oh, I thought you meant psychologically. Oh, no, no, I mean actual, actual poison. Actual A little I, bit I, of rat poison. I shouldn't poison. be eating this... Uh... No. No, you're, okay, you're, exactly. you're on the way out. Use my hand out. <laughs> <laughs> you're in. You're eating my candies, man. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a dangerous move. Yeah. Just a couple uh, points of note that I have to get on the record with. Exactly the same with George Carlin for me. His Playing With Your Head album was the one that uh. just influenced me i knew it by heart i still know it by heart yeah. unbelievably and amazing that you know former last week on earth guest kelly carlin has Who's come coming today She's coming here right now we've been texting she just tweeted she's coming to nebraska to play ping pong with me okay. and she's a dear dear friend and the fact that george carlin's only offspring is my dear friend and i'm here in carson's hometown it feels like my dreams are just coming true in in the most exciting way. Uh, so thank you so much for, for, for being course, part of that this, for me.
2: And I became close with George Carlin, which was the most amazing really? thing in my life. And he and the greatest thing in my life is that George Carlin things, thought I was the one, a really hilarious comedian. Wow. And the way I found out, he told me eventually. He said, me and my brother Patrick, we listen to all your stuff. Please keep us involved. Wow. Which was cool. And now I know Patrick, which is interesting. But... I was in Vegas at the show, and it was old comics and new comics, and it was the old people were like Jack Carter and uh, Norm Crosby and all these kind of people, and the younger comics were not that young. It was me and John Mulrooney and Jeff Altman and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So my friends were sitting in a booth next to a booth where George Carlin was sitting. So they announced me, and Carlin says to his friend, shh, this guy's great, I love him, Shut up, kind of a wow. thing. So my friend, of course, said that to tell me later, and then I was thrilled wow. because you know, as a comic, with the internet and social media, there are people Eddie Bro sucks. He's not funny. He's but, not, you know, you get that all the time. I get it. We I all get. get
1: I get a lot of Eddie Brill sucks. Yeah, yeah. As yeah well. I, I, I get Eddie Bro <laughs> sucks.
2: You get Eddie Brill <laughs> sucks. Guys named Eddie Brill are not comics. Get it, and they're very angry. <laughs> at they, they're like, I don't even. Yeah. I'm yeah.
1: even part of this business. <laughs> Leave just, me be.
2: I'm you know Eddie Glebe That's right. So, but the fact that you know anything Time I see that, and normally I'm very sensitive and I don't want to read that, you know, someone doesn't like what I do. But we all get it, Eddie. we get it, get it, get it. But now that I know that George Carlin, like me, or Dick Cavett, who mean. was here the very first year because he was so influenced by Johnny, mm-hmm. um, he's one of my biggest fans and wow. it helps me edit my stuff. And wow. So the fact that those folks, like me, or Lily Tomlin, like, so I work with Lily That's Tomlin and she hugged me, you're great. So I had everyone smoked weed in with Lily Tomlin recently. Really?
1: Smoked weed with Lily Tomlin. That's try
2: greatest. to get her the hair this year. She was busy. Oh, she's the greatest. Uh, next year, hopefully. Yes. But, you know, okay, as, so, so, so <laughs> hatred, uh, let them let hate. Um, you, you I can die it. because I know that... Carlin lo- loved what I did. Yes,
1: and I actually started feeling recently because I think for many years, like I wouldn't get much hate online actually, and it made me feel like I was being a little milk toast.
2: <laughs> a little right, too bland. And then
1: recently, when the game show came out, and I started being people's face more, and being a little weirder with my comedy more out there, I started getting a lot more hate as, as well as a lot more love, and I actually felt good. I'm like, I'm finally impacting people's thoughts, good or bad. I want you want to make an impact, and this George Carlin quote that I always stumble upon on the internet somehow miraculously when I'm feeling unsure of myself. He's doing some interview, and he said years ago that um, he, the only time he started to truly make a name for himself and become truly successful was when he stopped caring what anybody else thought. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so we're about to get into some news in a minute. I promise you guys we're going to cover the week's news, but you can't have Eddie Brill here, and I'll ask a couple more questions. So for, before I ask you what Letterman was like, tell me what George Carlin was like. Um
2: just well, he was always giving to comedians every comedian that 's ever met him you know he's like people have written to him and he 's written back to them mm-hmm. he 's called them on the phone. He was one of the most giving guys ever in the world Wow. A quick George Carlin story, yeah. I did a TV show, and on the show I did a joke that I wrote, how can you have a word like nonchalant when there's no such word as chalant? And I was <laughs> so Carlin because I was so influenced by yeah. him, and I had the same rhythms. So can you? Hey, Ray, calm down. Be like me, nonchalant. And that's how I wrote <laughs> the joke. So then a, a, a friend of mine wrote to me and said, you know, George Carlin does that joke. And I went, oh, no. no. I said, I know everything that Carlin does. I've never heard him do this. I heard him do it live. So uh, about a year later, I was in Las Vegas, and I was in the casino. I was working in the small room. Carl was working in the big room. Uh-huh. And uh, I see him, and I'm nervous, and I go up to him, and I go, Hi, you know, my name's Eddie Brill. I'm a comedian. And he immediately lit up, and he was really nice. And, and I said, I just want to let you know that I did this joke, and... And it was, I have friends of mine said, you did it, and I cut it out of my act, and it hurt because I love the joke, and all my friends love the joke. He goes, well, let me tell you, first of all, you're smart to cut it out, because everyone's going to think you stole it from me. Right. And the fact that you didn't steal it from me, someone sold me that joke, and I thought it was really funny, <laughs> and I loved it, and I'm glad that I met the guy who wrote it, and sh- can I shake your hand? I mean, like, you know, no, he turned yeah. it around, so it would be like that. And then I got the booking job at Letterman. And at the beginning, my first thought was, all right, let me get, um, my first thought was a couple of comics in mind, like uh, uh, Wanda Sykes and uh, Lewis Black had just won the American Comedy Awards. So I wanted to put them on. Mm. But then I wanted to put on the Smothers Brothers, George Carlin. And I did. I put George Carlin, the Smothers wow. Brothers. I got to put them all on. Wow. And it was such a thrill to be able to say, okay, George, here's the show, and I'm the booker, and I was nervous as hell. Uh-huh. So he was always nice, and then we got to work on both sides. We got to work together as comedians. We got wow. to work another way uh, as a, as a booker to that, and also That's he cool. liked my material. So I, you know, I was really, really thrilled that by is that. Is really, cool. and then I met Kelly, his daughter, and then I know That's the greatest. You know, I know Sally Wade. You know, George called me. And said, Eddie, I want you to teach my girlfriend to do comedy. I said, well, you can't teach comedy. He says, yeah, but I, I know that. And he says, but I've heard you do these workshops, and they're really effective. And I hear you're the best at it, which was like, uh-huh ah. And I said, well, why don't you teach her? You're George Carlin. Right. Because she's my girlfriend. She's not going to listen to me. <laughs> That's and, so true. So I want you to be the one. So again, yeah. one wow. after the other. That's incredible. And I still have a voicemail on my answering machine that says, hey, Eddie, it's George Carlin. I just wanted to say, me and Sally, we're going to come by at 1 o'clock. And...
1: Oh, wow, me. that's yeah. incredible I, I just a a thing happened with a uh, Stephen Wright joke I just wrote ah. a joke Where I go um, I I don't have ADD I have ADHD. I can't focus on anything, but when I do, it's crystal clear. Ah. And then it was killing. Right, and of course. Dame hilarious. pulled me aside one day and said, just so you know, because as you know, I get, uh, I've had quite a lot of people accusing me of stealing. That's a Stephen Wright joke. And I'm like, really? I didn't know it, so I immediately stopped doing it, but it's a bummer you when have that to. happens. You I know. It's a bummer when that happens. I went so, to
2: school with Stephen Wright. Really? And uh, we went to college one together. One of the greatest one-liner comedians yeah. to ever, ever live.
1: They the greatest.
2: Well, yeah. Probably. It's incredible. And, you know, you could see his influences in Woody Allen and maybe Jackie Vernon and all these older type of comics who mm-hmm. were that kind of comic. But, you know, Wright was, we would hang out together in college and that's one of the reasons why I started doing stand-up because we would, I was in a sketch group and we would watch Stephen Wright and I said, hey, I want to try that. So him and I would hang out all the time and I would say something, you'd go, can I have that line? And just hanging out stuff. You I would say said, that? yeah. And I would say, <laughs> oh my God, that would be a dream come true if you yeah. did my
1: line. And, and you would, saw him performing And you're like Wow all you gotta do Is write great lines You don't need any charisma You can have no, <laughs> no volume or inflection <laughs> To your voice And you can be a hit He was When he would first go on
2: stage We would go to support him In college He would face the wall He wouldn't face the audience Because he was so shy And Same so nervous Same as Hedberg nervous. Another one liner guy Who just seemed to like Close his eyes Wear sunglasses and Wear sunglasses Look down yeah. you know, Hold on to the mic stand With both hands And you booked so, him On Letterman yeah. too right I wasn't the first person To book him Sure Zoe Friedman Oh booked him, god I love Zoe She too. booked me on Letterman Really But um, But but I was able to put him on like eight times, which was really wow. nice. Wow, that's incredible. I got very close to his family. And recently I spoke to his mother, uh, Mother Mary. His mother's Mary. Uh-huh. Well, she recently passed away too. But it's funny because Bill Hicks' mother was Mary and uh, and Hedberg's mother was Mary. And I got close to both Marys. Wow. And uh, she wanted a compilation of all of the Hedberg sets he'd that's done interesting on Letterman. That, that, oh really? Yeah, and I, we put together ten sets and he was just so brilliant. Just to watch all ten in a row was very exciting for us. Wow. Watch. It's
1: it's interesting good. that the great atheist Bill Hicks' mother was named Mary. It's yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so we're about to get to the news, but of course we have to talk briefly about David Letterman. Okay. So first tell me what David Letterman is like. because he's, he, he's kind of a famous, private, quiet man, sort yeah. of a recluse in a way. What is he like as a person? Well, he, you know, one of the
2: things that Johnny, Dave, and Dick Cabot have in common, they're all from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So they're very humble, very down to earth you know, Mm self-deprecating in a sense. Mm -hmm. He never, you know, one time he told me, Stephen Wright's involved in the story too, one time he told me, he says, you know, I just think that someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, it's all been a joke, Mm -hmm. you're out, the real guy's coming in. Right. So I told Stephen Wright, I saw him that night, I said, you know what Dave Letterman said, blah, blah, blah. He goes, I was just with Bob Dylan the other day, I was like there goes my story, right? <laughs> he said the same exact thing. So Letterman always was very humble and but hilarious, mm-hmm. smart, smart, smart and very, very caring. He was. He really That's cared. And it was really wonderful In to see how much he, he cared. He cared about people. I remember one episode where there was, a, you know, one thing about Johnny Carson, we were at the museum today watching old tapes. Yeah. Johnny was, a, it wasn't clean, milk toast comedy. It no. was sexual. Totally. It was fun. It was edgy. It was smart. Yeah. And Letterman was the same way. Well, one time we had this kid who hit a home run to win the Little the little Kid World Series. I don't think they call it the Little Kid World Series. <laughs> they um, call it the... Uh, the uh, 18-year-old Cuban kid rising as right. a little kid yeah, right, roster. exactly and uh so the so there was some skit that was on the show and there was a, sort of a sexual overtone to it and dave was like hey wait a second we can't show this we have a kid on the show oh wow i mean that's a maybe one yeah. outrageous example but uh he would go to the middle east at during christmas eve and christmas day and go with biff and Paul Schaefer and his friend Tom Dreesen, and they would go out to, to the army, men and women, and perform and do a little show for them and never tell the press because it wasn't about, like, hey, look at me, I'm going over there, I'm a good right. citizen. He would give up his family's Christmas and Christmas Eve wow. to go be there for the troops that he loved so well.
1: And so he was a warm guy backstage, he would stick around and, and chat with the staff, because I feel like people no, have
2: the impression he, that he would dis- disappear. He would disappear, but he had his confidants, and he would, when I, every commercial break, I was at the desk, uh-huh. and that was really cool amazing. for me, and I got to be with him through all that stuff, and it was amazing. I was with him more than my own family, so wow. I feel like he's family, but there was a Group that I'm not included in, that he really had been with for all 33 years, um, who he would sit together and talk and and go over the stuff and you know so I mean he was do just, you th- they,
1: do you think he knew everybody in the staff's name? Do you, do you think I think he, he knew mostly everybody's name. And you think he would? So I understand he would usually disappear, but like would he if he would cross you in the hall would he be nice and say yeah. hi, how are you, and shake hands, yes. or would he be real weird and Pat Pat Farmer, of course
2: everyone knows him because he was one of the regular. You know, cast members mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, he would come to the desk and bring like a, a, a drink or something and Dave would go, thanks, Pat. Mm-hmm. He would always thank everyone. You know, Gene Szymanski was a, a stagehand, has been with the show since he was a kid. And he's in a lot of skits where he plays the guy who just goes nuts. Uh-huh. And, and he, was always, always very, he was always very loving of his people. And made sure that we were taken care of. Now, the writer's strike happened back in 2008, was it? And uh, everyone, we weren't working. The show wasn't taping. I think it was eight weeks. Well, it was just before Christmas. And Dave paid all of us wow. out of his pocket. Because wow. he didn't want anybody on his staff to not have money for Christmas gifts that's for cool. their family. 9-11 happened. We used to have a big, lavish Christmas party. He gave all that money to the firehouse around the corner. Wow, that's cool. He was an amazing guy. That's really, awesome. people think he's like tough or crazy or whatever, but cranky we're, or- we're comedians work sometimes we're cranky, sure. sometimes we're, you know, people are judging him based on seeing him on television every day and making their own assumptions, their own things. Right. But as a person who worked there, he was very loyal and he was very caring and he was a hard driving boss. He made us work hard and it was great because everybody on that show was the best at what they did. Mm-hmm. The cameraman, his main cameraman was Walter Cronkite's cameraman. Wow. And Dan, rather uh, uh, after that, and then Dave Letterman's. We had the best number one cameraman in the world on the show. The lighting guys, the 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 producers, the writers from Harvard, the you know whoever was on the show had to be the best, best, best at what they did, or else you didn't work there because he demanded this high energy, high end work. Would Dave ever write his own monologue jokes? Yeah. He would. He wrote a lot of stuff. Oh, he cool. always wrote in pencil, too, which I thought was kind of cool. I love that. Seems Johnny-ish, I think. Yeah. I, he, had, he had those double-edged ed, pencils with their races on both sides, like Johnny used to have on his desk. Uh-huh. Could you pitch him a joke? Could you, if yeah. you had a funny idea? Yeah. I, oftentimes, we just have a conversation. He'd come back from the commercial <laughs> ring and go, you know, I was just talking to Eddie, and Eddie said, blah, 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 and get a big laugh. That's cool. And, you know, that's so he credited awesome. me, you know, that's cool. oftentimes. That's awesome. And it was really, I mean, that was to me, that was a thrill. If I said something, he laughed. Even if he just smiled, Mm -hmm. that made my whole day. Of course. Why did he leave? Um, That I don't know. I couldn't tell you firsthand. My guess is that, you know, the, the Leno had left and now he was the old guy and mm. he wasn't doing the Twitter and the tweeting and all the other stuff. And, you know, Jimmy's were out there and they were getting stuff done. Right. And maybe, maybe, I'm not, I have no idea, the network and him decided, okay, it's time to, right. to let's move on. And, you know, I could kind of see by watching the
1: last couple of shows that he was like, he wasn't ready to give up. yeah. I, I know. He it was seems. on fire. He was great. He really was on fire, I know. Pretty amazing. That just the whole vibe. I mean, to be that's the only thing that I don't understand about being that level of humble when you're done. Like so many of the interviews he was doing at the end, he was so downplaying his legacy, almost like he was trying to get people to think he wasn't that great. He was right. like, Oh, I messed up this, I messed up that, I was not that great. I don't <laughs> people say that. I'm like so he's trying to get people like to not remember him or it's something. It's like uh, comedians when,
2: you know, if you're if you're overweight or you're bald, you're gonna do those jokes first right. so the audience doesn't make fun of you first. Right, right. And I think that he was always he really believed that, you know, he was just the luckiest guy in the world. But I know deep down inside it had to be. I know, I'm saying I know. But I'm guessing deep down inside that he really was proud of what was put out there and his legacy. And over the last, sure. uh, you know, month or so when all these people came to the show to thank him, he probably most likely felt like he was, he did the right thing and he was doing a good thing and that people were laughing and that this guy who had these dreams to go to L.A. to be seen at the comedy store to be on the Tonight Show with Johnny mm-hmm. Carson? Became friends with Johnny. Johnny used to write
1: monologue jokes for the show. I know that's incredible yeah. for 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 Letterman's show. Why why only one to three new comedians a year? And why only twenty comedians a year when there were how many two hundred shows a year? Or right. Well, that I could never
2: answer. I, I when I when they offered me the the job as the booker, I said I'll do it, but I want a comedian every week. Yeah. And they said, well, we're going to give you one a month and that'll be your trial period and we'll see what goes on. And that's how it was. It was like 12 to 20 comics. And the first comic I had booked was, ended up booking was Andy Kindler. And oh, I, Andy. and, and, you know, again, Zoe Friedman, great booker, great, incredible person, mm-hmm. uh, Bud's daughter, Bud you Friedman's know, daughter. and, but in her own right, a brilliant genius in the, in the industry, a Comedy Central executive. She, um, she was booking before. She got a great job at Comedy Central. So they said, you're going to be this person. So I, of course, I'm going to put Andy because I knew Dave loved Andy right. Kimler. But then, um, uh, one of the guests got sick and they needed a comedian last minute. And they said, Hey, you got a comedian? Well, I've been working with Jeff Stilson, who used to write for the show, yeah. getting a set together. I said, I have a set ready to go with Jeff Stilson. Let's put him on. So Stilson goes on and crushes. Mm-hmm. Has an incredible, that's the first comic I actually got on with Stilson. Right. I He crushed I went to dinner to celebrate with a friend of mine. The phone rang, Dave wants you back in the office. I'm like, oh, God. Well, I knew we did well, so I don't want to know. And so all the executives uh, of the show were in the office with Dave, and they go, you have a comedian every week. Wow. Go for it. In a sense, it wasn't great because I was not used to booking. You weren't ready for that many. That many because I, I had to work with them. I right. had never booked a television show. Right. I had to book it around the sensibility of the show. Um, but I did put a lot of people on, and then I put on Carlin, and I put on Klein, and I put on wow. all these different people. I got to Roseanne Barr, and you so know, why did it stop being one a week then? After that, and then after a while, um, they I they never explained it to me, um, but they just were putting on less and less comics, and comics were used. You know, they never wanted to bump comedians, but comedians would get bumped because right. it's easy; it's one
1: person, right? Right. Um, but you know, they just—I don't know why. I you always, know, it was weird to me because I always felt like. Music fits so much less on a show like that. This is a comedy show. you got a guy who's going to give you 50 laughs in five minutes. Why would you not want that? I would think that you would want that.
2: And it's so easy and all you need is one microphone, a right. lavalier. You're paying one guy. It, it would be great. But for some reason, it just, but, you know, we put on more comics than any other shows. I mean, you know. Until Chelsea Lately came around. Right. Then just comics every show. Yeah. But as far three as that times. kind of format of a yeah, talk show, you know, yeah. uh, Kimmel has become this incredible host and, mm-hmm. is, you know, he's a great interviewer. But they have about three comics a year I on know, that show. Crazy. Um, You know, all these other shows, they, you know, 10, 15. For some reason, I don't get it why. But Johnny would put a comedian on all the time. That's why I wanted to book a comedian every week. It was hard to do to get everyone going and to find the comics that were the sensibility of the show because it's not the Eddie Brill
1: show. There Mm -hmm. are comics that I love that I wanted to book on the show that I wasn't allowed to. Sure. And just for the record, too, I I don't want you to... to Leave the podcast thinking that I actually think you didn't put me on because I don't even know if you remember, but you were so cool to me because after that one time in Vancouver when you didn't think I was ready, and by the way, I think i told the story on the podcast once before, but Mark, while you were telling me why I wasn't ready, you were saying all these really nice things about my act, and Mark Marin walks in backstage at that point and mm-hmm. didn't know that you had just said you weren't putting me on. He thought that you were putting me on. Right. and he was bitter and angry he was in one of his like real depressed <laughs> moods and he literally came in between us got in my face an inch from my face and goes look at you with your cute little jokes <laughs> and your cute little Reese's Pieces jokes <laughs> and, gonna, and I was like he was like wanting to fight me I'm like I just got rejected from the late show I was like, relax <laughs> and Martin. he
2: got to be on the show a lot because Dave loved him and he did a great job and he was a very funny comedian but
1: after that you then told me that you you and I spoke on the phone several times about the kind of stuff I'd want to do on the show and then you told me that you would work with me me on it and you wanted me to give you like a 20 minute tape right. so you could help me develop two sets, one to do once and one to do again like a year later right. on the show. And I was so excited about that, that I got so in my head that for the next like two years... I kept trying to get that 20 minutes together and make it perfect and make what I wanted to show you and, and I never turned it into you and then you weren't working right. at the show anymore and, and I that was one of the big regrets of my career that right. I never got that to And me. it's a shame that a lot of people, you know, there are people who would call
2: me and say, what's the email address? I gave everyone my phone number, I gave mm-hmm. everyone my email address. I'm a comic. I wanted yeah. to be, I wanted to treat comics like I wanted to be treated. Yeah. There was a time when I auditioned in Boston for uh, uh, Robert Morton the, and, and I did a joke in the set and he laughed so hard he fell off his chair. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I've got the show. And I didn't get the show, and I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know why. I would have rather him said, not not to say nothing, to say, look, you know, these jokes work, these jokes don't work. Sure. So I vowed when I would become the booker that I would stay at every audition and not leave at the end mm-hmm. and just make a, you know, no, yes, no. If you want to go over the set with me, I'll do that with you. And I thought, every comma's going to want that. That's well, so that assumption was completely... Wrong really, because people hated the fact that they they didn't they, they, everyone wanted me to say you got the show right that's the number one thing and but I once you say that. no they didn't want to hear it they didn't want so. to hear it I know, but I and was, I did
1: I wrote down all of your
2: notes I haven't written down so well much. that's the difference between comics who really want a career and comedians mm-hmm. who egos get in the way egos get in the way yeah. and you know people they don't realize I'm a comic I nurtured every comic that I put on the show I yeah. made. It's a, you know, you have to be a psychologist. You have to, you know, tell them, you know, how to wear, what to wear and to look nice and sharp and not over the top. And there's so many different variables. Yeah. Take your time, have a beat, get a laugh in the first 10 or yeah. 15 seconds. So the audience really digs you. Really and, and I worked with some people that took three years, like Bill Burr got on the show, one of my favorite comics of all time. Yeah, it too. took him a few years to get on the show wow. because he wasn't ready. He, wow. there was no vulnerability in his act and, and, there was no like everybody sucked but him. That was right. And I told him, I said, look, when when some of this comes to bite you back in the ass, I'm going to put you on Letterman. And eventually, he came to me. and says, you know, I understand what you meant. I at the time you told to me, I wasn't really happy mm-hmm. I, because I, he probably wanted to hear you got the show. Yeah. Once he got that vulnerability thing, he understood what I meant by that. He changed to that way, and it's about him, and it's all. But uh, why
1: is that so important? Because I remember that set in Vancouver. I did nine minutes TV clean stuff, and I crushed that room. Right, I crushed it. I've so had a lot why, of comedians
2: crush. Why, the why do you Wright need? Tradition.
1: But why do you need to be vulnerable to be funny and have and have? No, jokes? you don't need anything right. to. Obviously, Stephen Wright's not vulnerable. He's telling one-liners, but, but... yeah, but and Stephen Wright did the show, and right. Stephen
2: Wright did the was my friend, and he didn't do any stand-up, and I convinced him to do the show. And Dave actually said, "Thank you, thank you for putting him on." Yeah. Vulnerability, it's not the be-all, end-all, but... You didn't want it to be surface level and not of right. my uh, unique perspective. Right. There, there are thousands of comedians. We, we'll say, oh, I saw that guy. He's another Stephen Wright. Right. I saw this girl. She's another Roseanne Barr. Right. No. You want Roseanne Barr. You want Stephen Wright. Right. That's who you want. Sure. So I want Ben Glebe. I want the Ben Glebe, not right. the guy who's the guy's been influenced by other people, but
1: creates this, your own brand, your own whatever. But that all said, not booking me one of the great regrets of your career, right? Oh, my life. Yeah, thank you so much yes. for saying that. Want to do a little news? Sure. Jurassic World makes insane money, which is unnecessary because dinosaurs don't use money. Entertainment Weekly reported, and exactly those words, I promise, fingers crossed. <laughs> the latest Jurassic Park movie I went and saw, Jurassic World. Uh, brought in $511.8 million worldwide in its first weekend. The right. first film to cross half a billion on opening weekend. Um, on what, was four- the, what
2: was the one that was, before
1: it, that uh, was number one Well, before then in it. America, The Avengers was number uh-huh. one, and it beat that record as well for domestic opening. Um, did you see the movie? I haven't seen it yet. I saw it. It's a piece of shit. Ah, it's a piece of shit. It's fun to see the right. dinosaurs. I love the. I love all the. I love the original Jurassic Park. I love, I love the original it. one. was a great one movie. One of my favorite movies. But this one is literally is the most cookie cutter plot. <laughs> the acting is not great. Bryce Howard and right. Chris Pratt are good. The two kids were like they held no candles. Those two blonde, adorable things right. in the first one. Oh, they were great. They had the tension was amazing. Uh, do you think it'll ever change that the planet just loves the? biggest blockbusteryest movie possible and they do not care about the more intellectual, quality filled entertainment.
2: Yeah, because you know, it's such a a, a world of you know, short attention span that people don't want to, you know, people don't want to see black and white. People don't want to read foreign films. That's true. You know, right. and, and because it's work and we've come to a society where everything's spoon fed for us. We're told what to like. We're told how to like it mm-hmm. and we're told what we have to say when we like it. Right. Or we have to hate it because everybody hates on Twitter hating on Twitter. Right. So we have to do that. And again, the comics usually in the world are the ones who stand up. I, I, I was reading yesterday, Ted Alexander said something about Jeanine Garoflo. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, when the Iraq war, Iraq war came out, it, she, uh, she was, uh, mm-hmm. when she came out and was against it and everyone gave her shit and was really, yeah. and, but she stuck with it and he respects her for sticking up for what she believed in despite the rest of the world not agreeing.
1: Yeah. I still think that war is going to turn out okay. It's going to really be good.
2: I, 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 I've seen some film and <laughs> it's, it's going to work out. Well, but but the, the, like, my favorite film of all time is Cinema Paradiso. I'd never saw it. Italian movie, brilliant. It's about the love of film, and I'm a love film. Yeah, got a movie, I worked at a movie theater since I'm 14 because I love movies so much. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Top three: Diva, a French movie, mm-hmm. which is the has the best written script. I, the more you see it, the better it is. It's a beautiful film. I never saw that either. And uh, Blade Runner. I never even saw that. You have to see the one that doesn't have all the narration in it. Uh The director's cut. Okay. Where he makes extra money because that's his cut. Uh Um, But those three films are, to me, but they're hard films to watch unless you really love film and appreciate film. And you don't want just bang, 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 bang. Which is what our society what is for. That's what porn is for. Right, I love that. That porn, bang, yeah, bang, bang. I even like a place. little bit of subtitles in my porn. It's, a, it's not bad. Yeah, I don't
1: mind that either, yeah. <laughs> I like to know really what the meaning of what they're saying right. is while it's coming. <laughs> uh, which brings me to another story. There's two stories you just dovetailed us into, so I'll hit on them real quickly. Right. The CIA is refusing to release bin laden's porn stash telling us what porn they found they're telling us they they released the love letters they found <laughs> of his stuff what books he read but they won't release the porn why apparently they, the bullshit excuse they gave is that they can't mail obscene material but they don't over, have to mail over it, a state line over a state line <laughs> broadcast in that state do you think we have the right to know what bin laden's porn habits were uh, if we're going to know what his love letters right were, yeah I think it would be very telling because it would help you'd think that would be one of the best pieces of anti al-Qaeda propaganda because it would right. show how hypocritical yes his that even are. bin Laden was watching porn because everybody watches right. porn right a woman should be in a hijab unless that porn was like hijab porn right. or like the Adam Hunter joke show me your nostril come on if it's literally <laughs> that then maybe that would be i guess i guess would hurt yeah. the, the argument the other story is that George W Bush said this week in as Israel, Hayom reports, wants more boots on the ground in Iraq. Apparently, he said that he thinks U.S. troops are needed to defeat ISIS in Iraq. And when asked about boots on the ground, at first he, he, he demurred on the answer and said the president will have to make that determination. But then, reflecting on the war against Al Qaeda in Iraq, which later became ISIS and opened the whole ISIS to grow, he said, "My position was you need to have boots on the ground." Well, he created ISIS, so he should know. <laughs>
2: exactly <laughs> yeah, right. He, he, he the, you know, he did the blueprint, so he should know. That's but exactly in, this, right. in this world, the, the, the boots on the ground doesn't work anymore. It's all video games, and that's true.
1: The world is all the guys are pushing buttons in Washington D.C. and and, and it's so funny you said that, that that he created it too I interviewed and the, for this podcast actually and 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 friend PR at the Democratic Convention in 2012 I interviewed briefly Michael Dukakis mm-hmm. and I said how do you think the world would have been different if you had won the election against G- George Bush the first and he goes well if I'd beaten George Bush the first who we'd never heard of George Bush the third and wouldn't be in this mess so ah. you can blame me ah, he took blame for the entire true. state oh. of the world um, so even though, of course, George W. Bush kind of ruined the world mm-hmm. and, and toppled Iraq into, I'd be agreed, as liberators, and we were not. Thought we were going to be able to establish democracy in the Middle East and this great sweeping thing, and we were not. Um, he agreed, He's told, a cowboy. He's a cowboy, and he thought, not Cowboys that there's not nothing nuanced. wrong with cowboy, it's not, nuanced. not nuanced. It's nuanced. heavy-handed. It's yeah. a, it comes from a place of insecurity. As Dennis Miller put it, George W. Bush is more of a checkers player than a chess player. Just ah. jumping over, boom, 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 kinging <laughs> yes. himself, not really strategizing where the next move is. Right. But that all said, I kind of agree with George W. Bush in this instance. I think ISIS, whereas there was no clear and present danger in Iraq then, and now yes. that, unfortunately there is, yes, there is, and ISIS is this horrendous, Super villain organization that the World all, Justice League needs to crush. Right. And Iran, the,
2: you know, they're, they're enemies of ISIS. They, all these people Everybody, around there. Yeah. ISIS is really not just an American problem. Yeah. It's a worldwide problem. And you would think that everyone would get together and go down there and go, hey, hey kids, tap them on the back. Right. You know, put away your guns. Come, You're coming with
1: us. Maybe ISIS can bring about world peace if the whole world... Gets behind crushing ISIS. Be we just great. keep like one ISIS guy in a cage and the rest of the world's harmonious and we yeah. just occasionally like throw spitballs at them. It could be a, a solution. I think I, I could see where it would work. It could. I'm, not, just, I'm not saying we have to go no, that way, but we should try it. But no, it's a good point, you know. Because um, Flavor Flav said he wants us to go bring troops in to crush ISIS. Well, every time Flavor Flav and George W. Bush are on the same page, I mean, you yeah, know there's sons of that. That's when you stop use pages. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. you got to turn to some kind of digital format, right. because pages have now disintegrated before <laughs> our very eyes. So the hackers, Chinese hackers right. supposedly stole all federal government... I thought it was Chinese checkers. I it was completely heard checkers. it checkers. Yeah, it was China triangle checkers. corners. Right. And they're storing it in those corners. And you have to somehow king yourself. How does it work? I don't know then? how it works. That's George Bush.
2: He, he, he knows.
1: He does. He wants to put boots on the ground in all those corners and make <laughs> yeah. sure that we stop all trade issues. He's playing issues. instead of Chinese he checkers. He is indeed, yeah. As he clears brush yes. to make room for it. Um, so... People are saying now that it's like the end of U.S. foreign intelligence, it's the end, that they can now bribe and, 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 they can just bribe or hold over the head the information of all these federal employees because they got the, uh, military records, government employees, veteran status information, addresses, birth dates, job and pay histories, age, gender, race data, and health insurance information and pension data. But here's what I don't get. So what? Yeah. What is it so you have that information? How are you going to hold it over my head? Right. I know what your pension is. Oh, I give up. Okay, <laughs> I'll tell you secrets. I don't see what the, what the big problem is. Like, it sucks that our data keeps being hacked, but if you're not responsible for credit card payments that are made when your accounts are hacked, no problem there. You're right.
2: You have to reset up some auto pays. It's Last night, eight. I was at 3 in the morning. I had to call up uh, Chase Bank and say, what, they said, what is this 91 cents from Brazil? and i had to i had to cancel my card they know because you
1: don't want them knowing you you'd purchase some brazil porn brazil
2: porn i know i got a brazilian
1: and, you got uh, which, which is perfectly I knew another that Because I saw your list Yeah you heard the intro I did <laughs> yes. earlier Nicely done Okay so let's go to that then uh, Men like the Brazilian We all know this The the Brazilian wax Pretty much That's, that's, that's everything gone Is that right? I think it can be all course, gone Or a little bit But there's sometimes a There's landing a landing strip, strip But landing it's about strip. cleaning
2: You know The taint area uh, As well I Oh think.
1: clean the taint Well that you got it You do. have
2: to clean the taint I mean, you
1: don't have to Look under there If you're not <laughs> cleaning It's nice but Under the hood As they say You don't have to look Under the hood right. Plus there's no stick To hold it up there, You can be there, there's a that's new company true. that's making taint sticks. It's <laughs> the greatest. It's a tainted brand. It's yes. a tainted product yes. completely. But, um, so this new study, and granted, it was, it's a very interesting study. It says it's not just men wanting women to, to have to do all this annoying stuff to be completely assured that maybe there's an evolutionary reason why we prefer a a, a Brazilian wax. Mm. And it says, despite feminist cries that that, that the bush is back, we all know it's not, the majority (laughs) of men still prefer a bare bikini area. A new study out of Canada says, here's some empirical evidence as to why. Over 5,000 men surveyed, and they, by AskMen and Huffington Post, found that 41% of their Predominantly male respondents prefer women to have no pubic hair whatsoever. Thirty-eight percent find pubic hair acceptable as long as it's trimmed. Fifteen percent no preference, and only five percent prefer all natural. So, so this uh, psychology professor at St. Jerome's University, Dr. Christopher Burris. Um, at the University of Waterloo. Yeah. Nothing. Waterloo. That's right. Da, 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 da. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was really beautiful. Um, Suspects that it, it may be associated with men's fear of being with infertile women. Mm. That supposedly uh-huh. when women have high levels of testosterone, it can mean that they're infertile and right. that it also leaves more hair thinking. growth. Yeah. It's a lot of thinking. But you, you know, it's a lot probably
2: Bin Laden's videos where all these Bush women of yeah, the Bush. what it is. And they don't want to show that because they know that only 5% of the men really prefer Or they didn't want to
1: show that Bin Laden secretly supported George Bush.
2: There you go. Interesting. Ooh,
1: That's a connection there we didn't think about until I didn't think about it until right
2: about it, so you thought about
1: it. But I mean, I personally, you don't have to say your preference, but I personally prefer it to be all gone. I like nothing down there. I don't mind a little landing strip if need be. A little landing strip's fine. Yeah, I'm okay. I, I but, don't want it to be
2: completely gone because it's too, too, I don't need it to be completely gone. I, don't, I prefer it. A, a landing strip is my favorite of all of them. Not that I have to, you know, but if you, approach the airport, the yeah, landing strip. I don't land. Like I, like I
1: just kind of enter and exit a lot. I've gone repeatedly. out with girls
2: who they, they their, their hair sticks out the side of their panties. That's not no big, fun. Not a big that fan of not that. That is not fun. No. Or you see a girl in bikini when, when, like when they're wearing like long yellow. pants and it comes out the bottom by their ankles.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I just think if you're going downtown, yeah. it's a lot easier and more enjoyable, and therefore the girls would get that to happen more if you're not getting hair hitting you in the face. Right. That's my personal opinion.
2: But I have hair, and I think that the, if these girls are going to go down on the hair, I'm going to go down no, on the hair. No, but
1: there. our thing sticks out, so they don't have to right, really interact with the hair green, that much. Yeah, We're right. going right up in there.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's getting up in there. Yeah, I love getting so in there. So take
1: off all your hair. We sing different songs. Different songs, different eras, but they're still effective and they go are. with what we're they talking about. They are still about. effective, for sure. Yeah. So the NAACP right. had this woman, Rachel Dolezal, who right. was the leader of the Spokane, Washington chapter. The people have spoken. They, they have indeed. <laughs> yes. and, and they said, we want our black leaders white.
2: Right. Apparently.
1: Uh, apparently. So she uh, was faking being black. Right. She... uh has said she identified as black and told people she's African-American. She would like wear darker makeup. She had put her hair in curls and would have extensions and braids and all this. And there was a big uproar about this across the nation. And um, even though the NAACP kind of stood by her and said, quote, one's racial identity is not a qualifying criteria or disqualifying standard for NAACP leadership. um, She stepped down anyway. She resigned. Right. Stepped down and said, I want to stand in the way I'll still dedicate my life to this work. And, um, her parents were like all about outing her. Yeah. I don't uh, know why they were so, they're like, our daughter's not black. Yeah. It pretty racist to me. Yeah, they, I thought so
2: too. They I refused thought... to allow their daughter. And then it to... turns out the brother is also some freak who, did you read about yeah, that? Yeah, he I assaulted
1: both, both of his sisters apparently. Right. Um, which is just, maybe that's a, a weird, you know, Duggar inspired twist. Yes. In trying to change the topic here. But, um. Look, I don't get it. Patrick the who hosts the Nobody Loves, Loves Onions podcast, posted on Facebook something interesting, I thought. It's kind of interesting that the whole world community stood behind Bruce Jenner becoming Caitlyn Jenner and changing her identity to right. a completely different sex, embraced it it's bravery. But, but a woman who believes in advancing the cause of African-Americans wants to identify as that, and people call her a fraud and say she's terrible, do you think there's some, something to be said for that? I don't know. I don't think, th- it,
2: instinctively, it doesn't seem like it's the same category. Right. What, what Bruce, Caitlyn Jenner became and what this woman became become. To me, what screamed to me was mental illness on mm. her part. I mean, it might be wrong. I'm just saying right. there's a lot of mental illness in America. There's a lot of problems with it. There's um, We've lost friends in comedy like Robin Williams to mental illness mm-hmm. and stuff. and And people are afraid to address it. I think the more important thing is that, you know, you want to help someone, you're not going to change who you are to help that unless if you feel, you know, she did work for the Spokane people. Yeah. And she did effective work for these people and she really cared, which is great. Yeah. But was she lying along the way? to the, um, what was it, the university she went
1: to? Well, she actually, before that, at Brown at Howard University, right. she sued them right. for discriminating against white people.
2: Right, which is odd, because you so would think, sh- that's why I think there's may be a mental right. illness, and if that's the case, mental illness should be talked about. I mean, you know, in the news today, there was the thing that happened yesterday in South Carolina with the, the guy who shot up the church, and, you know, it's a, there's a lot of mental illness in this country, and... The fear and the hatred that's being pushed all over this country, right. especially on the Internet especially with the cowards who hide behind their, their computers and the fear and the hatred of religion and schools and parents, that kind of stuff needs to be dealt with. If we deal with – it's like – I'll give you a different example. If you're going to clean your room, one of the ways to clean your room is to throw everything in the closet. Mm-hmm. And then when you open the closet, the closet tumbles down True. and everything falls apart and your place is a mess. That's how I've always done it. Me too. Then I, I thought, you know what, why don't I clean the closet first and mm. then work my way out? And that's how I look at mental illness. I said, work on the mental illness and work on making people feel better about themselves our society we're so focused on, on your outward appearance being normal, right? And it, it obfuscates what's Look really at going on. Look, When we, I was growing up, so they chemicals put on your face to help you get rid of these chemical problem that was on your face. Mm-hmm. It didn't really work. It made it worse for you. Mm-hmm. But they were all about you're not going to get laid unless you don't have zits. Our whole world is about you suck. You're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. But we—it's ha- all about advertising. It's all about marketing. How are you going to sell? How are you going to market your product by dealing with sexuality? which right. is everybody's right. problem. And also how you make people feel like shit for not using your product. True. So True. this oh, this fear and this evil and this sh- everyone sucks and you're a piece of shit and you're not good enough and you're not good enough, it makes people live their whole life thinking they're not good enough. Especially right. if your parents tell you that. Because as kids, we want our parents to be right. Right. So even if we know we're not good, we still want our parents to be right. We'll be pieces piece of shit or we'll be right. crazy or whatever. So let's clean the closet. Let's find all the. them. Yeah. Let's deal with the mental illness. Deal with that on a big scale and then work our way outside and make everyone feel good about who they are. Sure. And if you're a piece of shit, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, piece of shit are
1: going to be a piece of shit regardless yeah. of appearance. And I think people do need to know that. It's, a, it's an important message. Your appearance really does not matter that much in the end. Someone's still going to love you, unless you got hair down there. you got to get rid of that. you got right. to get rid of that, obviously. But you're right. There might be a mental illness thing too, because she said that when she became the legal guardian for her brother, who was an adopted black brother, right. and, and he said to her, you're my real mom. She said, how could I be white if I'm his real mom? Well, he just said that. You're right. not actually his real mom. Right. So there's kind of a weird it was, it, that's, that was my reality thought. break And there. that's the thing
2: that everyone's discussing, but they never talk about the mental illness part of it. right? Because everyone wants their opinion to be heard, and everyone wants to talk about it, and everyone wants to be an expert on it. And
1: further, it also just speaks to how, again, shallow and like pop-hungry our, our news media is. Yes. That the story, we don't ever talk about racial equality. We talk about it, we talk about the woman who was working for racial equality and, and demonize her because she had a weird uh, issue about her own personal identity right. as though that's the national problem. That was one weird outlier case. Yes. At least talk about that case for a minute and then do an in-depth story about the work of the NAACP, but never will it happen. You know, Rich Jenny,
2: a great comedian once said, Brilliant. said we, would have, we would have good news, no one would watch it. Yeah. We, you know, we, people want drama and they want to, and if there's no drama, they'll create it so that there is drama. For me, I want to get rid of the drama. I want to get rid of all of it. Be honest, tell the truth. Yeah. You know, and, I'm a Mary J. Blige guy. I want yeah. no
1: more drama in my life. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> don't I'm need no. Don't J. need Blige. no hateration. <laughs> I don't need that. Waterloo. I'm just going back. to the <laughs> <of that note. laughs> um, Okay, so we got a couple more stories here before we get into our Twitter answers and things. One thing I, I want to bring up that, that is not known, please.
2: is that one of the greatest managers of all time in the comedy industry. Jack Rollins. Okay. So you know who Jack Rollins yeah. is? He managed Johnny, managed Dave, managed Woody Allen. He died today. Oh, Just no kidding. Wow. They have the Jack Rollins Breakthrough Talent Award at the Cabo Comedy yes. Festival every year, too. Yeah. He no was amazing. Kidding. Rollins and Jaffe were the two guys. I was in Montreal one year, and I met Charles Jaffe, but I didn't know who was him. His had a name tag. It said Charles. Him and I hit it off. We were great friends. At the end of the trip, someone said, Mr. Jaffe. I went, Mr. Jaffe? Oh, my God. The most down-to-earth guy. He introduced me to Jack Rollins. Jack Rollins and I became friends because I wanted Woody Allen to do Letterman. I wanted him to do stand-up oh on Letterman. Oh, my God. That would have been incredible. Came, you can't see my fingers, but they're very close together. He came <laughs> this close to doing stand-up really? on Letterman. Oh, my and then God. Why did he, he change he did his mind, Leslie? Because again. there was some lawsuit that he was going through at the time, and he focus his, his focus on that and he then, does have those occasionally and then all of a sudden um the 2001 attacks happen the emmy awards get moved what do you a tuxedo to stand up on, on, the on the oscars
1: that was the greatest thing ever so now i uh, tell the old bit about pawning off his uh his oscar he's yes. like they said to me do you still have a i should try to go back to the pawn shop and i got it back they still <laughs> had it there nobody wanted it <laughs> And, it was pretty and, great. And so the next
2: day, I called Jack Rollins. He goes, "I knew you were going to call me once you saw Jack on, once you saw Woody on the Oscars." And uh, and then so uh, immediately, I um, I try to get him back on the show, but it just never worked out. But Jack Rollins was an amazing man who did so many great things for so many great acts, and unfortunately, he passed today. and I just wanted to be able to say that. And, yeah, uh, thank uh, you for uh, saying with that the, for sure. Know,
1: Carson and Letterman and all the people we mentioned before. That's amazing. I mean, it's just it. it it's cool. I think that's with podcast too, with YouTube, and people will be remembered so much easier now. People, there's more than just a few TV networks that can put people's mention of people's and keep their memory alive and pay them some tribute. So that's and he turned cool hundred on there. Sunday, and then he died. Wow! Like, oh, I guess Thursday. So. That's pretty. You know, yeah. he was holding out for that. Yeah, back. he was waiting. Yeah. That is pretty incredible. That is awesome. I yeah. love that. Uh, very cool. Okay, so um, thank you for sharing that tribute for sure. Um, I definitely can't switch right now into Taylor Swift wearing BDSM gear, so we'll skip to another political thing for a second first. Donald Trump running for president. So great. So great, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like it's the end of our society, and it's great for us comedians. It's wonderful news. Um, He announced that he's running for president officially this time uh, with some of the weirdest quotes, like a 40-minute rambling speech he gave, and said something like, quote, we need somebody that literally will take this country and make it great again. We can do that. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for president of the United States. And headlines like, I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. Yeah. <laughs> that God ever created. So, yeah. the ego's in yeah, check. So really a little well. bit, he, you know, he
2: used to have a big ego, but now you can see that he's ta- ta- tapered it down a little bit. Exactly. Did right. you hear the thing
1: today about him hiring people? Yes. That yes, was I was going to talk about that okay. as well supposedly he and, and he his camp denies it, but supposedly this casting company in New york. Pay people fifty dollars each to go and pretend they were Trump supporters yeah, we're at the announcement. You get a T-shirt and you get
2: to you get, <laughs> get a to scream. T-shirt. You scream, "Go Trump!" You're <laughs> and the
1: he's best. going down
2: the escalator.
1: It was hilarious. He came down the escalators, <laughs> though, he was Arsenio entering <laughs> at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, it's completely absurd. Fantastic. And he had other great quotes, like too in, in, in his speech. He said that he thought Obama spent too much money on the Obamacare website. Saying, "Quote: I have so many websites. I have them all over the place. I hire people. They do a website. It cost me three dollars." (laughs) Really? Well, that's why he's so wealthy. He's crunched the numbers. He's paying really tiny child labor to get $3 websites.
2: The the kid in Malaysia who's working on his website as we speak. (laughs) Exactly.
1: It's unbelievable. Uh, And he told his exact net worth of $8,700,000,000. Right. Said people wouldn't say he, he wouldn't admit how much he's worth, so he came out and said exactly how much worth. And then also said, um, I promise I will never be in a bicycle race. That'll tell you yeah, yeah. What, a, what a campaign promise. Oh, he says, I would build a great wall. Nobody builds walls better than me. I would have Mexico paying for that wall. Right. Yeah. You're going to get yeah. Mexico to pay for a wall to keep themselves out. Yeah.
2: Gonna, how? You, what you do is you hire them at a, <laughs> a reduced rate right. <laughs> for $3. And then right. they and they build the bricks by bricks, and they start with the Johnny Carson brick. That's
1: exactly and, right. That's how the wall never, starts. Never. and they'll
2: never get that. And, and and then they go, oh wait a second, we we bricked ourselves out.
1: Right, so and, and they very can't indeed, get the money. Like, You're doing a great wall. Uh, the other side though, I saw some scratches on the Mexico <laughs> side. Why don't you just uh, paint that up real quick? Oh boom! <laughs> Sorry fellas. Yeah, whoops. You owe us money now for this wall that we built. Had you build? You know, maybe It's you like can go plans to the- without any thought whatsoever. It's just like bold a wall. Rash statements. Can't you swim
2: around the wall? Yeah, you can. Well, <laughs> or take a helicopter dig over on, the top of the there's wall. There's a lot of options. You know, the Great Wall of China was very popular. I Maybe you can it. just yeah, you, you do is you attach whatever you want to do to the Great Wall of China and put that through the make it the Great Wall of Mexico. If we
1: make when we move Mexico to China to That'd one side fantastic. of that wall. And then if Mexicans want to go to the other side, both are in China. The right. wall is actually separating China from China. Right. It
2: works out good it's, for... It's a waste of a wall. Yeah. You need. You need and you already have a wall. You so already wall. So you bring the Mexicans the it, over there. Right. Because as he said, something, you know, they're rapists and they're this. And he would just right. really just try And I heard a couple of Mexicans are okay. Yeah. And it's just horrific. i heard he's a couple a, of yeah, them he's okay. just a How horrible about we move man?
1: Donald Trump <laughs> into the middle of Mexico and let's see if they throw him a party. Put a wall around his head. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> And see if he can climb his hair out. <laughs> It'll never happen. Rapunzel style. He <laughs> can, can be his own one-man Rapunzel. his Democrats and there's Rapunzels. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. The, the, the GOP, the, the grand old... Uh, a, piece, a piece. Right, the piece. The piece. The Taylor piece. Swift wears yeah, some BDSM gear, speaking yeah. of the piece. Yeah. Uh, Daily Beast reported. So, Taylor Swift, I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan every Me day. Me too. I like her a lot. She's a smart girl. Yes. She really stands up for what she believes in. She's becoming an, she's an evolving feminist. Yet, the other day, went out for lunch with Selena Gomez, and, and Taylor wore on top of her t shirt a bondage harness. Kind of mm. a harness. But not in a sexy way, in a pretty non-sexy I way. I see that um, it was it was interesting. It was not particularly cute, but people started asking her why she's wearing this like BDSM gear, and she said on her Twitter, on her Tumblr rather, if you're, she says, I think you're ignoring a really important point here that my harness and I are always ready for a zip line slash rock climbing. Yeah. Ask yourself, are you ready for extreme adventure? Should it present itself? Harness Life 2015. So she's funny. I like yes. her. She's funny.
2: I was in London not long ago doing yeah. a little comedy show, and she was on a very funny British TV show. Uh-huh. And she was so funny that she kept up with the very funny host yeah, of she's the show. Great. And that was the first time I re- I'd seen her on Letterman. She'd been on the show, and she was kind of quiet and shy because it was the beginning of her sure. career. But I think she's really come to her own. Yes. And I You know, I'm not saying that I'm buying her records or anything like that. I'm, no. You know, but... As a personality her songs are catchy, As, though. Yeah, songs are catchy and good for her. There's a great new tune, Waterloo. I don't
1: know if you've heard of it. Waterloo. It's great. Waterloo, uh, that's, that's
2: babe in Waterloo. It's a huge Taylor Swiftian
1: hint. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I met her once at Chelsea Lately, very sweet, and uh, I'm becoming more and more sexually attracted to her by the day. Uh, Not my type. I like brunettes, I'm much more of a too. Selena Gomez guy. Yeah. But Taylor Swift, she's got the, she's more of wife material. Yes. A- and if she needs me to put a harness on her to make that work.
2: That's okay. okay. You, uh, you're going to go on your zip line honeymoon.
1: Yes, we're going to yeah, zip adventure. line straight to that landing strip. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be the, great.
2: I wonder if she, if she, how, what kind of question. shaving. That's a good Brazilian. question. Let's take her to Brazil.
1: I bet. I bet. Do you think they just find out? <laughs> yeah. They can
2: tell. You go, you, well, 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 welcome to Brazil. <laughs> uh,
1: clearly you are a landing strip girl.
2: We <laughs> can tell, but there's no poof around the sides. When you go through the security, instead of the ding 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 ding, there's like a, a
1: shadow of if there's hair or <laughs> just right like a like like a soft sponge sound it's like a it's like, like a soft lamb <laughs> she's got hair that's a good question i can i i would guess she's so pop oriented these days she's probably completely shorn down there yeah that's my guess i hope so for your sake i know it's for you i need this yeah that's all i need yeah i understand completely that's why i'm here for you look keeping our brain strong as we age is important mm-hmm. Eddie, yes. um abc news asked can eating brains keep your brain strong Scientists have identified a gene that makes a Papua New Guinea tribe resistant to dementia, according to to findings published in Nature magazine. The four tribe used to eat the brains of deceased relatives, incredibly, creepily enough, uh, which at one point led to a major breakout of potentially fatal Kuru prion disease in the 50s. But those who survived had a prion resistance gene, which also protected them from some causes of dementia, they think maybe, and Parkinson's disease. Mm. Would you eat brains? If no. you were guaranteed. If I'm guaranteed, you know, there's dementia. a lot of
2: things I would eat if I was guaranteed yeah. certain things. I'm saying guarantee. Yeah, yeah. If it's a guarantee,
1: I'm all over it. What if I'm, it's like a 7% increase in less likelihood to get dementia? Then would you eat brains? Maybe. I'd have a small I'll side a of brains. A little sample. Yeah. yeah. It's an app. You know, when you go you, when you
2: go down the street and the guy has a little tray with brains on it? Yeah. i take one of the little things. Sure. It, brains, yeah. there's an app
1: for that. Yeah. It's like a little Tivana, like, like a little... Uh, yes. Free tea sample, like like a little Cinnabon. Cinnabon, <laughs> by the way, makes a big mistake. Cinnabon and Wetzel's Pretzels. Right. They always have a sample person with the tray in the front. Right. All you need is a little bite. Right. You don't the want. The smell it. is so over- is this all the sample? You wouldn't need it, and they would sell so much more. But often mm-hmm. I'll go one little bite. Now good. Now I'm good. I didn't need to have a thousand calorie pretzel.
2: That's right. I never even thought but if Cinnabon was smart enough to sell brains mm. then, Monkey brains. Or monkey brains and then they would then the people would be so smart they would get smarter and smarter, they'd invest in Cinnabons, it would just be this complete circle of love circle. and yeah. It's a wheel of fortune. Yeah. It's a leap of faith. It, 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 it's more a wheel of misfortune. That's true. Yeah. That's true. For, especially
1: so. for those whose brains they are.
2: Yeah, right. That's really sucks to lose it's your It's not brains. a great day for them. No.
1: It's really not a great it's day It's a guaranteed them. loss of memory. It's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Unless they don't get a memory zone. Maybe they're just hitting mm-hmm. like, a, like a sexual zone and mm-hmm. then their, their hair just grows. <laughs> you never know. great. You never really know. There's no way to know. Would you know. eat brains? I would if it, if, look, human brains, Would I eat human brains, if it guaranteed me I would not get dementia... I guess if you cook them up and season them enough, yeah, probably a little tagarito, I have some. A little garlic. Yeah, but for a seven percent chance, I think I might roll the dice.
2: Yeah, I think I'm gonna be fine.
1: And I'm just saying that because you said you might might taste it for seven percent, and I want to make you seem more cannibalistic than me, so I can feel better about myself. Um, yeah, I'm I'm willing to take the. You're fall. okay with that? I'm good. Thank you. it's really sweet. <laughs> it's your birthday. <laughs> That's, nice. That's the song. That's Beatles. Yeah,
2: birthday song. Yeah. Say it's your birthday.
1: And I shared a birthday with Paul McCartney. Yes, That was more clever than you realized.
2: Yes, it. that was pretty amazing. It wasn't. I didn't realize it.
1: No, you didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah. But we'll pretend to. Now, do. I
2: know John Lennon's birthday very well. It's a week before mine. Is that right? November 9th. Well, not anymore. No. But it's still his birthday. That's true. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, One of the greatest moments of my life yeah. on Letterman was with Paul McCartney. Oh, man. I was, He was going to be on the show the next day, and Letterman we occasionally asked, you know, what should I ask him? And I said, well, you know, last week, the week before, Michael Jackson had died. So I said, my first thought when Michael Jackson died was, what's mm. going to happen to the Beatle music? Cause right. I'm a Beatle nut. And Me Letterman too. is a Beatle fanatic. My
1: favorite band of all time. Right.
2: And Letterman fanatic. He would have his iPod full of only Beatles wow. songs. And he loved Beatles. And we'd talk about the Beatles and at Christmas it was easy to get him gifts cause I'd always get him something Beatle-y. Yeah. And it was really great. Um, so <laughs> he, uh, Trade had Beatles. A, yeah, I would do that. Or, you know, the, the uh, Beatle, uh, Beatle Dumb and Beatle Bummer. No, I, I, I'm not going there. I did go there. Um, anyway, so he said, I said, why don't you ask him about the, the Beatle music and Michael Jackson? So the next day comes, and Letterman has a thing with uh, McCartney. McCartney's the whole show. He's talking to him, and they don't talk about Michael Jackson. So in the commercial break, I'm at the desk. I look over at McCartney. He gives me a head nod. I go over, and I say, hey, how you doing? I say, you know, the first thing I thought of when Michael Jackson, thought, what's going to happen to the Beatle music? He goes, that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> and I thought, Well what's gonna happen? He said, Well, you know, we have some kind of deal and the music's gonna come back to us and all this kind of stuff. And it was a very short commercial break and they go, We're coming back. So now I have, hey audience, let's applaud. And they come back and Dave goes, So, what about Michael Jackson? So now Paul was ready Because I talked to him, not that he wouldn't have been ready. Right, right. And it was a really very interesting, cool segment. So now the segment's over, and McCartney was brilliant, and Letterman was brilliant, and now it's time to go up to the marquee of the Ed Sullivan Theater and perform there. So Dave took myself and this other guy, Bill, and we went up to the marquee, and we're standing behind McCartney. He introduced McCartney, he comes off, Dave, and we're in behind him. McCartney's performing for a million people on the street, Mm -hmm. and we're up there on the marquee. It's, like, so thrilling. So now McCartney's done and he's gonna go, uh, do an encore just for the crowd outside. He's gonna like five songs. So I go downstairs and I watch it from the street, you know, cause we have that roped off and I can move around. And then I knew what the last song was. I jumped in a taxi the minute the song was over and it took off and then I shook. Like I've never shaken in my life wow. because I didn't you. realize what I had yeah. met a Beatle, talked to him, and you know talked to him about Michael Jackson, and then was standing next to him while he was doing his music, and not next to him but wow. on his shoulders. I created. <laughs> you were on the shoulder we were on He was still able he to play guitar. Play, no, very, he couldn't play oh, the bass. I had play. to play the bass. Oh, I played the strings and well, the, the top part. You guys should bring this on the
1: roads It's like yeah. like a circus type yeah.
2: act. It's, it's, it's incredible, but the people are doing it all over
1: it, it is it is becoming a bit done but you could put a spin on it like a little bit. Yeah, you could spin. spin on it yeah right <laughs> that would spin be great. Um, I created comedy juice like a, like 13 years ago which wow. has become this big I I mean, you know created you that, that. Yeah, I didn't know that I created it I want to get on it yeah, yeah. I can help okay um, I couldn't I, get you on but now you can get me on
2: totally you're not ready, but... but, right, but uh, eventually. We'll get you there. <laughs> I'm not vulnerable. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> right. It's very important to me. It's I know. Without vulnerability, <laughs> what do you have? We're only allowed to get on two comics a year. It's very right. right. But, um, so, I created that 13 years ago, and um, Paul McCartney recently has come to the Hollywood Improv Comedy Juice show twice. Wow. And a few weeks ago, I was not there for either, unfortunately, he was loved the show, goes up to the comics afterwards... They go into the restroom of the Improv. They're hanging out and did a whole photo shoot in the restroom uh, at the Improv, goofing ridiculous. around at the uh, urinals. And then Paul McCartney and a few of the comics that were there. It was incredible. Uh, I saw those photos and I wanted to hurt myself. You know what's funny about McCartney photos is that I don't. Yeah, How no, would that I that know? What's really funny really about? It. How would I know? You didn't even tell me the story yet. Uh, I better tell the story then. Yeah, tell the story. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm well, going to tell it's their also,
2: so, You know, there's a guy named John Philo, Philo, F-I-L-O. It's F-I-L-O. He, yeah, and he's the guy who shot the famous, you know, four dead in Ohio shot and, uh, you, know, you know, during the 60s when yeah. the gunshots of the police and all yeah. that stuff. So he was on campus and shot at his famous photographer. He was the Letterman photographer. And he's, uh, you know, uh, filming all these things. And every time I'd meet somebody, like Clinton or Obama or whatever, I, he'd always take a shot of me shaking their hand. Wow, cool. And so I have a ton of shots. Of the back of my head and somebody else. <laughs> That's not the shot yeah. you one. Yeah, no, it's not at all. And I have bald spot in the back of my head that you can only see if you're tall or you look at my <laughs> shots from John that John took of me on the shows. I have I have all these great pictures. You know, one with Michelle Obama, one with I um, met Barack, Barack, and mine's on the side of my head too. You can barely tell it's to right. too. Yeah. Crazy, I, I, that's so a McCartney bummer. and me—it's like oh, there's Eddie's bald spot and Paul McCartney.
1: Yeah, you <laughs> got to get someone to Photoshop your head onto your bald spot. Mm, I think I could do that. Think about it; It would look yeah. weird, but it would be—it would be interesting. It would be like like a mixture of it would be sort of like your own personal landing strip. It's like aim here. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. I don't instead. know either, but I laughed. It was funny. See, that's all that matters. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even it's just rhythms. Yeah, I, I
2: I was on stage at Caroline's not long ago. Yeah. And I said something on an ad lib that was rhythmic. And I didn't and didn't make any sense. And the audience laughed. Killed that was it. the funniest joke. And I stopped. I go, Why did you guys laugh? Can you explain it to me? I said, I didn't say anything. And I, you just laughed at my rhythms and they applauded that and go, Okay, are these guys. <laughs> you crazy.
1: guys are putty. You guys are putty. Our buddy You guys are a bunch of idiots. We're yeah. morons. Idiots. We are morons. Um, on that note not on that note, because no, people good. listening to this podcast are completely not idiots, they're one of No, no, people. they watch Idiot Test. Exactly right. Which is now on Wednesdays at Ten nine central. I understand. Yeah, we have moved. So please tune into that and follow at last week on earth and at idiot test show for all the quotes of the podcast and all the idiot test show puzzles and updates and photos and great stuff. But on that note, we check in with our devoted listeners, the family we've created here, the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Friends of Benefits, the Big Be Glebers and all of us, the Glebe Squad, hashtag BigLiebers, Do It Upright, the Big Liebists. It's time for Twitter answers. <laughs> It's Twitter Answers. Uh, checking in now with the Brain Trust and what you all answered. Hashtag Brain Trust. Hashtag Big Leibers. Hashtag I love y'all mofos. But not mofos, like great people. You know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. you guys. Um, I asked the Brain Trust, uh, what are you doing right now? Because I was writing this last night at 5 in the morning before I went to sleep, right. before I passed out and recording it now the next day. Um, and I said, what are you guys doing right now? And some answers. And feel free to comment as right. you would, as you would naturally. Right. Feel natural. I'm natural. Okay, great. I and feel ha- like a... Oh, sorry. Beautiful woman. Natural, natural woman. Natural woman. Do you? Woman. Do you? Of course. That when, since you started shaving? Ever
2: since. Uh, I said the landing strip is gone. I'm a
1: natural woman. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. At Nola Guy 85 said, up at the crack of dawn, walking my dogs. It's a normal answer. Mm-hmm. Uh Optimist for PA Gov, though, John Hollowitch at John Hollowitch said, working in a walk-in freezer, sir. Mm. Third shift life hashtag Third shift life. Wow, people are working hard out there, man. This third th- shift. To know there's three shifts is amazing. I didn't even know there's three shifts. I thought there was two. I thought there was two shifts. Yeah, he's doing one like shift a- is sleeping. He's not sleeping. He's no. working. This is between the two shifts. He like has <laughs> a one minute shift. It's he's a, a quick changeover. Shifty, this guy, he is for sure. Agreed. <laughs> um, Kelsey Lee Faye at Kelsey F twenty seven lying down to sleep, waiting to go into labor with my second baby. Wow, with prayer hands. So best of luck to you. second shift. That is the second shift for sure, yeah, and it's the late shift. Well, good for her. Yeah, good luck with that. At Puckin' and base says smoking a bowl, going to bed for the third time tonight. <laughs> so you're smoking a little too much. Yeah. I'm not against smoking, but yeah, no, uh, three times in one night. Once, twice, three times. Three times, times you're a stoner. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I love weed. <laughs> Uh, we have, um at Stefan speaking, eating a lamb burger with mm-hmm. beetroot and pineapple. Interesting. Does that sound good or horrible?
2: Um, I'm not a beet fan. Me either. And they're so good for you. And you know but why I don't eat beets? Is the same reason for you? I love the taste of beets. Right. It's the juice that gets on the other stuff?
1: No. You go to the restroom, it looks like you have some kind of right, cancer. You. It, looks like it looks like you're bleeding out of your system.
2: Right. right. As long as you're not cancered. Uh, but
1: every bad. time I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh yeah, I had beets. Right, but
2: there's beets. like a minute or two of
1: panic until there, I there remember are, beets. There's certain vegetables that have their distinct odor when yeah. you go to the bathroom. Asparagus does its thing, it but at least you don't think you're dying when that right. happens. You just think you beets. had asparagus. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot more. Oh right, I had direct. asparagus. I right. don't remember having asparagus.
2: Right. Oh, I did. Yes, but I did. But beets is like,
1: I'm fucking dying. Yeah. I'm dying. Yeah. Oh, it's beets. Blood's coming. out. Oh, okay. thank God, it's just beets. Yes. Um, at Cistern Ben T G F says mm-hmm. not sleeping, going on 36 hours, not on purpose. That's mm. tough. People should smoke more pot. Yeah, and three work times. The third shift. Wake up three times during the night. Smoke Once, pot. Go back to bed. Twice. Three times <laughs> a Stoner, Waterloo. You didn't think it was going to be all music, but I did not. Music musical the day today for sure. Um, you can follow me on Periscope at Ben Glebe at Ben Glebe on all social media. Eddie, where can people follow you? Um, well, I'm brand new, but I'm going to change it now. <laughs> you, you should talk me into changing it.
2: You should. I, I used to be at the very original tweeting Twitter thing, and it was just too much at the beginning, so mm-hmm. I stopped. Not doing it. Wow. And then the uh, then I found out people were using my name and, and bandying it about. So then I took over Eddie underscore Brill. Um but now I'm gonna do some, I, I I'm I gonna take be, your I, advice. No, okay, I, I I like your advice. Thank I'm gonna you. start again and we'll do that. But I'm at Eddie dot com and um I've Great. been writing a book and about one third of the stories I've been putting on Facebook. So if you find me on Facebook and also I'm always writing some kind of a comedy or being silly with words. So please contact
1: Eddie's me. Eddie's a great comedian and a great writer. you got to follow him on Facebook. What's your Facebook address? It's just, I, I don't know, Eddie just, Brill. Uh, just Yeah, I have two of them. Eddie real.
2: Yeah, slash Eddie Bro, and then I have a fan page, but and I put stuff on both, but the Eddie Bro one, there's still room for like 29 people, I just dumped 30 people. I would b- people. promote the other one then, Yeah, okay. we're going to get you a lot yeah, more. Fan,
1: the fan page. The fan page is so Eddie Brill bro. bro fan page. You Eddie can bro. find fan that. A right. uh, great writer, always inspires me with your writings, always entertains Thanks. me with your writings. Um, I, You can see me performing live. If there are there any dates you want to plug? Please feel free. Yeah, I, I, we're starting a new club in New York. Um, it's not going to be only comedy. It's
2: going to be music and comedy in, in Williamsburg. It's called The Hall, and it's on... Uh, Hopefully
1: you can get it all the way down to the one new comic a year event. That would be
2: fantastic. <laughs> but in this one, I have uh, Mike Kaplan, Carmen Lynch, and Tad Alexander the first week. At it's June. June 30th. It's our first night of comedy. Please come. We're only charging 10 bucks, nice. which is normally a lot more, just to pack the place and have them have more comedy, more comedy I at love this place. That. The hall in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Love
1: that. I'm performing right now at the in Nebraska, Norfolk, Norfolk Nebraska, yeah. at the Great American Comedy Festival, GreatAmericanComedyFestival.com. performing Friday night and sa- hopefully Saturday night. If yeah. I make it to the finals, it's not a competition, but God damn, I want to win. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you can come uh, back next year. That's exactly right. Monday, the twenty second, uh, Sex and the Witty. I'll be I'll be performing a ten p.m. show at Bar Lubitsch in uh-huh. Los Angeles and Comedy Juice, L.A. Uh, the Hollywood Improv, June twenty fourth. Headlining Wise Guys, Salt Lake City, Utah, July 10th and 11th. Go there and get tickets now. And at the Pemberton Music Festival in British Columbia, the mountains near Whistler, July 17th. And Vegas, Harris Improv, July 21st through 26th. Nice. Then Rooster Teeth Feathers later in the year, October. So figure that out. And on that note, we go into our last couple stories here, our fun stories, our frivolous stories. Mm -hmm. It's time for the thunder round (laughs) because you can't hear lightning. Oh. It is the thunder round, y'all. Arnold Schwarzenegger posed as his wax self at Madame Tussauds <laughs> to frighten people. Is he different than a wax figure? Um, not really. He's he's kind of a he's kind of a joke, but
2: uh, you know. Uh, for me, I don't care either way about Arnold. I, I I, don't, you know, it's funny. He is kind of a wax figure. He's kind of a cartoon character. Maybe
1: we can case him in wax while he's alive and see if, see if, see how we, see if, he, he likes are, it. See if, his, sorry, <laughs> see if his movies are any more charismatic and interesting.
2: Yeah, no, I've I, I loved some of his movies. I love the original... Uh, Terminator. Yeah, and the, those are great. Big and fan of... Twins was great. Twins was very funny. Very but funny. of course, you know, it was him and Danny DeVito. But maybe we can build a wall around his head. Maybe yes. we can get
1: Trump to build a wall around his yes. head and see if that works. The Great Wall of Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yes. I like that very much. Uh, Antwerp now has Text Lanes, the independent uh, UK All reports right. via UK Brain Trust. Good. I follow at UK Brain Trust on Twitter for the British Bureau of this podcast. Reports all of our weird and, and odd stories. They have a lane where you walk for pedestrians where you can text in that lane. Smart. And the people are crashing into each other like crazy in that lane. That's <laughs> fantastic. So it's perfect. Oh, I love it. They I mean, anything it. where you can laugh out loud at other people tripping and falling. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's great. They ship banana peels in that lane the, as well.
2: Yeah, one on one side and one a banana peel in the middle and, and uh, like. Oil and grease
1: on the outside—it'd be perfect. That would be lovely, I think. Yeah, and then just like a whoo, like a three stooges noise. Yes, the three (laughs) stooges noise would be great. I I, I would like a lot of slide whistles. And, <laughs> and on, on, on those sounds, I think we're done. We're done. Eddie, thank you so much for being my guest. I've really a had a lot of respect for you for a long time. That's ruined now after yeah, the podcast. I understand completely. You no, know, I don't, don't have
2: respect for myself after the
1: podcast. <laughs> You're a great guy. Uh, it's really been it's an yourself. honor to wor- wor- work with you and to get to know you a little bit over the years. Thank you for your time, and thank you all for listening. I will leave you now as apropos as possible with the original theme song as written by Paul Anka for The Tonight Show with J- with... Oh, my God, yeah. I must have with Jay Leno. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to uh, slip of the tongue. Man. <laughs> very strange, very strange. Uh, the original theme song for the same show with Johnny Carson. Uh, enjoy, and until last week, next week. This has been Last Week on Earth.